What's up, mamas? It's Tanika Ray. I was a television host for 20 years before my entire life blew up when I had a baby. Shifting gears from red carpets to a gig called mom required a whole new game plan. The carefree, globe-trotting boss babe me was suddenly in search of a mommy tribe to help me navigate the inevitable fumbles and fails of raising a kid. Mama Stay with Tanika Ray is a sanctuary for the mommy collective, where we amplify our self-love and self-care, trade tips on raising conscious kids, help each other fine-tune our boundaries, and celebrate the highs while forgiving ourselves for the lows in the wild, 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 wild world of mommying AF. Hello, lovelies. Welcome to Mama Stay with Tanika Ray. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. We are all up in it. I love this month because it is an awareness. So it's not asking you to fix it. It's not asking you to even take action. If you are a person that hasn't sought help for any issues that you may have, any trauma, any ill, then this isn't judgment. This is take another look. This is an awareness. This is to take a broad look a scope at where your trauma lies and how you can possibly hurdle it, circumvent it, make it disappear by doing the work of wellness and to heal yourself. I'm going to start with a little story that really made me think today. It really sort of illuminated a light for me. And so I want to thank you, Destiny Bennett. You guys may know her on all social media platforms as they call me Mama Bennett. She's a very young, very introspective, very powerful young lady who's already married to her childhood sweetheart, has children. She's a social influencer. She's doing all the things. But the other day she was on one of the social media platforms talking about trauma. And she said, you know, I, I, I don't think I have trauma. I mean, I don't, I don't really even think about it. And then she started to dissect a story from her past. Her mom and dad split up when she was very young. And her father then went and married somebody else who already had children. And he became a really fantastic father to them. And then the father and this new wife also had kids. So Destiny would see these kids at school. (laughs) You know, people who grew up in small towns, public school system, you see people in the neighborhood at school. So she would see these kids who are now being fathered by her father at school, who would talk about how amazing of a dad he was. But yet Destiny didn't know anything about it because she didn't know her father. So even though they lived in the same town, he had access, he never used it. So she went on to say that she was talking to her husband and he's like, uh, yeah, honey, that's fucking traumatic that you lived around the corner or nearby. He could see you whenever he wanted to hug you, give you a birthday present, and he just did it. But yet he's happily raising all these other kids with a smile on his face. Well, that's fucking traumatic. And it was brilliant. It made me realize that sometimes we think of trauma 
with the big T. And I think that may have come from Gabrielle Bernstein, who, if you're not reading her stuff or listening to her podcast, do yourself a favor and do it now. Okay. I find her to be on point or Lisa Nichols, please follow her or Glennon Doyle. She gets all the energy out. Now, these are all women who are warriors in seeing yourself, reflection, doing the hard work to find wellness. And I thought about this destiny story, and I I really understand this trauma with the big T (laughs) versus trauma with the little T. We tend to ignore trauma with the little T. But let's be clear, it only has a little T because we've devalued it. We've ignored it. We've pushed it aside or we don't even know it's there. She didn't even think about it because it was her normal being ignored by her father is what she always knew. So whatever. And I thought about this a lot in my life. Where have I experienced this trauma with the little T and didn't even realize it? Well, I was a part of a woman's group a couple of years ago when my daughter was very young. I, like I say at the top of this podcast, I was in desperate search of community. So I was with a bunch of women. We all had kids and we were all trying to heal from something, but I still didn't connect to the word trauma. We were on a retreat and the facilitator, shout out Khadijah, she said, okay, let's Let's, I know you guys have been at the pool and you've been laying out in the sun. Let's do some work. Let's dive in and do the hard stuff so that we can all be lighter and lifted from this experience. And she goes, all right, let's talk about our trauma. And I visibly got uncomfortable. I actually got defensive. I got pissed. And I was like, well, not all of us have trauma. I was very upset because in my mind, trauma was rape incest, molestation, abuse. It was the nasty, disgusting stuff that everybody agreed is trauma. And she was there to say, no, no, no. It's little stuff. Sometimes it's the quiet stuff. It's the stuff that sneaks up on you. It's the thing that's always been there that forced you to alter your behavior and the way you move just by its mere presence. Although you still don't give it that much credit. It took me years to get tapped into trauma. For me, you know, I've talked about this before. If you saw Red Table Talk, I was on there crying like a baby. It was a catharsis. I was letting it out that I was a child that was never told she was loved. Now, I hear this is pretty common with the generation that I was born in, but that doesn't make it okay. The deeper part of that story was, unfortunately, My mother's mother passed away two months before I was born. Well, that sounds pretty fucking traumatic. And when I was born, my dad was at Howard University in law school. He was finishing up his test when I was born. Like he literally had final exams. And after I was born, he then needed to go take the bar. So he decided having a baby around was too much of a distraction. So he left DC, went to Los Angeles to hunker down and study for the bar, leaving my mother with a newborn baby and with the pain and trauma and anguish of losing her mother two months prior. I can understand why I may not have bonded with my mother. 
I can understand why she may not have cuddled with me or hugged me. I think about this a lot. Now that I have a child and I am a mother, I understand how often we have to give to our kids, even when we don't want to. But I also grew up in the age of Oprah. (laughs) We are a very special group. We learned about what was in our soul and our passion and how to give and have gratitude and love from deep in our hearts. My mom wasn't privy to that knowledge when she had me. So there's a lot of empathy there. There's a lot of understanding. But that trauma that I endured at a very young age still lives in me, still shows up in relationships with men and especially with my daughter. So we have to have the tools to navigate tricky waters when big T or little t trauma are lurking. Wellness is always the goal. So though you may not be fully aware of your trauma or you're totally aware of your trauma, be patient with yourself. Allow yourself to be aware of your trauma this month. Allow yourself to journal about how you've navigated through this trauma. Allow yourself to marinate in the feelings that you keep dormant or you stuff under food or you hide anywhere in your psyche. Let's just be aware. And then we can do the work next month. What I'm trying to say is have grace with yourself because having stress over trying to heal your trauma is the wrong way to go. Be patient. Pour more love into yourself as you're going through the uncovering of your shit. I'm bringing to the mic today a a friend who actually this conversation fits perfectly today. Not only does she teach Spanish and she's very passionate about teaching black women specifically Spanish so that they can travel the world and and be proficient in communication, but she also has gone through an incredible journey in her life. She's a daughter of a single mom who then became a single mom and was raised by her grandmother. Her strength, her boundaries, her will to just do what needs to be done and do it excellent came from that experience. It feels like because she grew up in the church and she has such a strong relationship with God, she knew prayer would always send her in the right direction. She's strong. She is dedicated to herself and her boys. And her story is just really inspiring to me. One step at a time with all these little events that you think would knock her down. Miss Kaywanda Lamb. She stood up and she did the damn thing and she's, she doesn't cuss. So (laughs) you'll hear me do it a couple of times and you know, she accepts me for me, y'all. It's all good. That's one of the things I love most in this mama stay community is that regardless of how we live our lives, regardless of how we may speak, regardless of how we may look, we accept each other. We have each other's backs. We see each other at the core Okay, Wanda and I first connected because I just loved her spirit. First, she wanted to level up women, moms, Black women specifically, by teaching them another language so we don't have barriers when we travel around the world and we go to our favorite resort in Cancun, etc. And she's really passionate about empowering single moms specifically. Like, 
The whole world beats up on single moms, the moms that are working the hardest, that take care of everything. And she wants to empower us. I say yes, even though I'm officially referring to myself as a single woman with a child. Same, same, right? Get over it, Tanika. (laughs) So my friends, let's get into the combo. That's the amazing thing about having so much grace for moms because we are doing a thousand things at once. We have a thousand things on the schedule. We have a thousand things on our list of things to do. We are also thinking about how to make my life better next day. I mean, it's just, that was like a brain fart of like what goes on in my mind at all times. Yes. To even get silence and to get like clarity and to get stillness is work. It's work. And I think I saw a mom post the other day about like, how she does everything for somebody else. It might've been in response to your post. And I was like, be quiet, can Wanda, just move on. <laughs> just move on. Because my kids are older now. And one of the ladies was like, and this other group I'm in, she's like, my child is three. And so I remember what it was like when my kids were three. I think uh, Nyla's what, seven, eight? She's eight now, yeah. And she's such a beautiful baby and so smart. Oh my God. And wise and a handful because she's a girl and she wants to probably do all the things too, right? All the things. I had to remind myself to be quiet because our journeys are our own. And even though I figured out kind of how to, when I notice that I'm overwhelmed, how to just say no to start saying no to some things. Other people have to get to that. And for me to come in and say, girl, you just got to start saying no more. It's just, it's not going to solve the problem. She's got to get to the point of where she recognizes her worthiness, how she's also worthy of quiet time, self-care, given to other people. And there are a lot of things I think that we have to unravel. Me growing up, good girl, church girl. Oh, give everything away. Help everybody else. Give all your ideas, your time, your coaching, your, your moments to yourself. You know, I did that. In my 20s, I did it all my life. And then finally, I said, no mas, Tanika. I was like, barrier, wall up. Slate your name. Who are you? And what world have you created for yourself? Because I love that sign behind you. She created a life she loved. Yes. <laughs> Hi, y'all. I'm Kaywanda Lamb. And I have created a world for single moms over at kwandalam.com. And I'm also a certified Spanish teacher and I'm the founder of Spanish for Black Girls. I'm excited to be here today. Why was Spanish your passion? Where did that come from? So literally growing up in small town, Louisiana, I took French and Latin in high school. And I've always loved people. My family, you know, didn't have means and I knew I wanted to travel the world. And so I could escape into these new languages, into books. I was the nerdy girl. And when I went to um, undergrad for the first time for a business degree, they said, you need a foreign language. So I said, oh, I've had French. I've had Latin. Let me take Spanish. And OMG, my love affair with Spanish began. So I graduated with that business degree, pregnant with my first child. Okay, lot happened. lot happened in, in, in college that I didn't plan on. And so I didn't go into the business world the way I wanted. I took a entry level job. And at that entry level job, they said, you know, we need people to speak Spanish with our customers. I was working for Chase on finance and I went back to school. Chase paid for it for the second degree and which was in Spanish. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I want to teach. And after six years at Chase, I became a teacher and the rest is history. So business 
has always been in love with mine. I've combined that with the Spanish. And so, you know, I have another brand that's called Spanish for Small Business and Spanish for Black Girls and kwandalam.com, the winning single mom. Hey, I believe I can do all the things. (laughs) Honey, yes. And you have sent me your book, which I love. And I think it's so important. First of all, who would have thought that that could be a business? But you're right, specifically for us, teaching us Spanish and what we need for an everyday life. I live in LA, so Spanish is everywhere. I was just with my housekeeper yesterday. And it's like, uh, come and say, dice. like, remind me what trash is. And she's like, basura. I'm like, yes. And, sh- and she's then making jokes about her ex-husband's basura. And I'm like, me too. like, you know, it is a beautiful language that I've always heard. Why do you think it's important for Black women to need to learn this in 2022? Well, as you and I were talking about earlier, the state of the world, lots of people are becoming expats. And as soon as the world opened after the pandemic, Black women have been traveling and even before, right? But even more so now we're getting out there. And I feel like we need to know Spanish for safety. We need to know Spanish to connect with other communities. I think we're missing out on a lot of opportunities when we don't add an additional language to our arsenal. And so whether you want it for travel, whether you want it to up-level at work, whether you want it in your own business or even relationships, because I got some girlfriends who are traveling, honey, and opening up their little Tinder apps in Mexico and Argentina. Wow. And, and I'm like, OK, girl, I just think it's important for us to see things differently. You and I have talked about dating, you know, as you've posted on your page and you've talked about relationships and I'm chiming in, you know, I think too, we have to open ourselves up to other communities. Like we love our black men. I love my black men, but I'm like, listen, if you want to send me a one, if you want to send me a Steve, okay. If you want to send me a Gunter, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not there yet. Just let him be good. (laughs) I am not there yet. I want to be there. I yes. do. I want to be there. But like every time I envision my man, he's chocolate. And you know why he's chocolate? Because we've grown up around beautiful black men and we've seen it in our communities. And I think we get to to have what we want. Right. Mm-hmm. I love me a good six, two, six, three on up black man, honey, with a little meat on his bones. Listen, <laughs> but you know what? You know what? And I'm totally off topic right now, Tanika. When the Kevin Samuel stuff was out, you know, when he was out, when he was alive and all that, I got so sick and tired of seeing some men in our community chime in talking about we're high value black men. I got tired of seeing the fuss about $50 dinners or I'm like, well, if you're not dating 10 women at the same time, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have such a bill for dating. Date one, one, two women. Ah, <laughs> It really did something to me because I was like, I want us to stop being so transactional. And I want you to really be able to see the beauty and the women in this community, how hard we fight and work and build. And like you look at the creator that you are. Look at what I've created. You know, if I had a good man beside me, honey, I would be where I want to be by now. Do you hear me? And he would be where he wants to be by now. But we can't get that idea that other cultures, you know, there's a reason why we see so many of them married because they understand that's how you build wealth and you get to enjoy your life with somebody while you're doing it. This is a thing. And I've said this, we aren't quite understanding who we are in this world, where we come from in this world and how it is still rat-a-tat-tatting on our mentals every single day. We don't get it. We don't we are, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, babe. The reason why our culture as a whole isn't dead set on, let's find our mate. Let's get married. That's 
is because of what our ancestors went through. We were ripped apart. We were torn apart. Then the government doubled down and they would support families without a father in it. And then they started taking all of our men to jail. Then they started killing our men in the streets. Like all of it has to do with keeping us not together, keeping us apart. Absolutely. Period. And so once we can acknowledge that and really sit with that and try to understand how to hurdle that, that's when we're going to get somewhere. Now, let me tell you, you grew up in Louisiana. I'm in LA. I know the, the big cities, we really suffer from this. But all my girls in the South, I went to Spelman. All my besties in the South are married. They've been married for 20 some years. They got three and four kids. It is something that really was ingrained in the Southern culture that we um, in LA, we are like, what? You, we're trying to have a good time, right? <laughs> I don't see it as much out here. I have so many single friends in Los Angeles and New York. We do so much better. We did a lot better in the 90s when there were all these rom-coms and Black people loving Black people. And R&B was the greatest music of the land. It was. It was positive R&B as well. Now... Oh my God, the, I call it the, I know everybody calls it the mumble music or the, that phase we went through. What was it like 2010? My boys were younger and I was like, what is this? What's this person saying? Who's this rapper? (laughs) And I would do that. And I'd be like, that's the song. And they'd be like, whatever, that's what's hip. That's what's out here. And now um, you hear songs like her best work is on her knees. And in those videos, we see black women, right? We see other kinds of women too, but nobody identifies more with a woman who should be slaving away being this and being called out of her name more than us. And you're right, we're absolutely queens. And so not only is it, you know, slavery, colonialism, the police, the system, the, all these things, it's now other things that affect culture, right? We're these icons in culture. I know you're in Hollywood, so I, I'm talking to the person who already knows all of this. You've interviewed all the stars. You are a star, right? But I think that we forget that what we're listening to and what we're watching also affects how we are. And so for me, guess what? I don't watch TV all the time. I don't listen to the radio all the time. I actually, you know, choose the music and the things that I watch and what I listen to. And when people talk about being awake, I'm not trying to avoid what's out there, but I do know that if I watch the news all day long, it's going to depress me. I'm going to cry because <laughs> I'm emotional. What happened to those babies in Texas? Friend, friend. And I was like, who can we go to for this? You know, and then we find out more and more about that story. And it's just like, you're going to go absolutely crazy with what's going on in the world if you don't take a step back and say, okay, how can I make sure my household is together? How can I make sure I'm together and my boys are together and the people that I touch and connect with are good? Just to your point, there's so much that affects us. I think we were talking about this earlier and you're like, wow, it just is so much. And you're trying to parent as a single parent. And so you you have to take a step back and you have to say, what can I change today? What can I help with today? And if I can't solve it, maybe I need to lay it down. There are things that I say on this show that are very consistent. I'm a conscious mother. And what I know to be true as a person that worked in the news, the news is not your friend. The news is not created to make you feel good. The news is created to keep you on that station so that they can sell you soap in the commercials. That is it. And what we know about human nature is we aren't going to stay on a show that's like, everything's great. It's sunny outside. Okay, you turn the station. Because humans, our shadow side is we love disaster. 
If we're driving by an accident, everybody slows down. Do Am I going to see blood or their body parts? It's a sick side of humanity. But that is how the news generates. That's why it could be 24 hours a day and people watch it on loop. Because, oh, did you see? Did you see? And if we're stuck in the, oh my God, I like to call it, then we don't really listen to what's going on. We're not paying attention to the reality of how they're taking our rights away. We're stuck in the soap opera of, oh my God, did you see what he did? And then you wait for that. You call a friend, you call a friend, you discuss it all day. And they've passed another bill behind your back. And no action. We've done no action. We've only just talked about it. We've been upset about it. We've been mad about it. And we haven't taken any action. Absolutely. We're spinning. We're spinning in the reality of the insanity. So I, too, I turned the TV off the the second the pandemic started. Turned it off. I'm going to take it back, actually, because I knew our last president very well. I spent time with him. I was at his wedding. He's He was a vile person then, and he's even more so now. So once that started to generate, I was like, nope, we are sponges. If we allow all of those conversations and the chitty chat about what they mean and what they say, they will convince us, and they're trying it. You, we're watching it happen with Sesame's Place. Wow. They will tell us we didn't see what we saw. They're telling us we didn't hear what we heard. That is the modern day enslavement. Turn the news off. Sesame Place was like, oh no, he just couldn't see. And people were like, oh, okay. That sounds about right. No, no, ma'am. Turn it off and free your mind so that you can see what really is and hear what really was. And there's a lot of enslavement going on and people don't even know they're still slaves. Absolutely. To your point, that goes all the way back to why I love the work that I'm doing with Spanish for Black Girls. I love the work that I, you know, spent a lot of years doing with single mothers and I'm coming back into because I had to take a, you know, put one on a pedestal, step back on one. But I'm going to continue to do this work because we needed the freedom, the understanding, the, the seeing that you have choices and options. Now we're recognizing that we can stay in this country, which we're proud to be Americans. Don't get us wrong. We love our freedoms. And but now you're trying to take our freedoms. And so it's like, what does that look like for us and for future generations? So it's time to make sure that we are building and creating opportunities for ourselves. And I think um, most of us are looking to see where can we we go? (laughs) Where can we go? Right. That is for real talk. And I say all the time is we're proud to be an American. But we got notes. Yeah, we got notes. We got notes. And we like we like these freedoms you talk about. I think, too, with the pandemic and with these companies recognizing, you know, that they were lacking in diversity, equity and inclusion. We're seeing, you know, all of this work. Right. But I'm no longer in a corporate atmosphere. And I hear some people saying, yes, we're seeing change in these companies. We're seeing people spend money over here, but not real change. I have, you know, clients in my Spanish for black girls who I worked with on the small business side. And, you know, they're higher ups, VPs and all of this of things. And they're like, yeah, I just kind of got sick of not seeing real change. And so there's so much work to be undone after 400 years of what was done to us. But thank you for the work that you're doing to always keep speaking out, even if people are like, what? But no, speak the truth. That is how we will get change. And I think there's so many people, like you said, walking around not knowing that they're not free because we're tuned to, like you said, these cycles 
watching this, somebody feeding us how we should feel. So now we're absorbing all of these ideas. Are they even your ideas? Do you even really know what you believe politically? All these things, right? That's the bar right there. If you are constantly being fed people's opinions, do you even know what your own opinion is? You know what you like. Oh, I like a little bit of that, a little bit. So I align with this. How can you agree with somebody wholeheartedly? I actually have even stripped my political affiliation. Why do I need to be on one team or another? America loves that shit. Pepsi or Coke, you know, NBC or CBS, the the Dodgers or the, why do we have to pick a team? Why can't it be, I like that player from the Dodgers. I like that player, but the world runs on that black or white. They love it. They can control us all if they're pitting our teams against each other. So I, as the rebel, say no. I'm the girl that as soon as Colin Kaepernick got ousted for simply kneeling, I was like, I'm done with football because I'm free. I'm not getting lured. Oh, but it's football season. I don't give a damn. They showed us who they are. You guys are now voluntarily being slaves. It's so interesting just to watch all of this play out. So I have some some things in the works that I've been working on creating some additional products. And I have some folks overseas working on those products for me. And literally when all this stuff started happening, Roe versus Wade, you know, the shooting of those babies, um, just all the craziness. The the people were messaging me like, what is going on over there? It's a S-H-I, you know what, show going on. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Your democracy is crumbling. And I'm sitting here trying to be positive. But at the same time, I'm like, the rest of the world is watching and y'all don't care. Y'all let a president stay in office cursing, talking about people. But you talk about decorum and, you know, how holy and wonderful America is. And I'm like, wow, this is who you are, birth of a nation. This is who you are. So you're an educator. You're raising two black boys in America post George Floyd. How did you even start those conversations? And had you had those conversations with them prior to the pandy? Yes. The answer is yes. I'll tell you something really quick. So grew up in small town, Louisiana. I moved over to Texas after I became a teacher, right? Started teaching here. And I've always worked in smaller towns or smaller cities, and they were predominantly white. In fact, I've always been the only Black Spanish teacher or the only Spanish teacher. So we were in a small town and they pretty much grew up their elementary years there. And they had all these great friends. We had this you know, great community. There were like literally two other black families in that small town. And they're my friends, right? To this day, our friends, our, all our kids grew up together. And so I would tell them, I said, I love my coworkers too. And, and they love you and like you. But if somebody says something that they shouldn't say, let me know. It didn't happen at that school. But when we moved over to another school, Somebody called my son the N-word and um, one of his friends who was Caucasian went and told the principal and my son, it didn't even face him because we don't say those things. I never even thought that I needed to because this was such a, a affluent area where I was the only black you know, teacher out of 200 and something people. I was the only black woman. There was one other black man. So I'll say that I forgot. There was an engineering teacher and I taught Spanish. So I'm always the only black Spanish teacher and typically the only black woman out of 200 people in the school of a staff. And so um, I was livid. So I called the principal. Oh, she's already ready. She's like, I've taken care of it because I'm about to like tear all y'all down. It's about to be a problem. And so what happened is his friend noticed that that was wrong because his parents had been talking to him and he went and told it because my son was just stunned. He was like, OK, that's not who I am. 
because that's what I teach them. If somebody calls you something that you're not, you don't have to get into a fight. You just move on because that's not your name. He went and told the principal and that kid was supposedly disciplined, but they wouldn't tell me what happened. So we don't know if he got disciplined or not. They just keep enabling the bad behavior. Enabling the bad behavior. So we go on. And so I started then, this was about fifth grade for him. So I started then talking to them about there are people that we love. There are people who believe that Black people should be slaves. You know, all these things that happen in this country, they think that they're greater than us or better than us, but that's not true because see how brilliant you are. And I would talk to them like that. And I said, You're, it's not everybody. And that's the, the only thing that we don't know. We don't know. People can smile at us and we can think that they're our friends, but maybe one day it comes out that they're not. I said, because somebody's going to these KKK meetings. Somebody is. Okay. And so um, when George Floyd happened, when Philando Castile happened, when Trayvon Martin happened, it was just so much. It was so distressing. I was crying and I was on this this phone watching on social media like everybody else wondering what on earth is happening here in this democracy. And I took the time to talk to my boys about safety when they're out and about. And I've always been like that with them. And they think I'm the overbearing parent. But I'm like, hey, you stay with your group. If you're with me, <laughs> you better be with me. That's when they started to start separating. They still love their friends. My, my, my youngest son, his best friend is Caucasian. We love his family. They're really good people. Again, I'm just constantly trying to teach them that it's not everybody, but it's somebody. You know what it is? It's that joy, I think, sometimes. That Black boy and that Black girl joy that we have that someone has tried to erase us and eradicate us for years, but we still keep getting up. We still keep climbing. We keep, we still keep pushing. That's that, that's that queen and king. in us, Right. And so we're on a journey to, to figure out who we are in this country. You know, I would tell people sometimes I said, you know, everybody knows where they come from. If you're an immigrant here, you know, where you came from, whatever country you came from. We are the world's orphans because the single mom flag, as much as I could care less, really. To me, it's like, whatever. Women do everything anyway. So either I'm taking care of a child or I'm taking care of a child and a man, which by the way, is just more work. I think it's perfectly fine. So I don't have that issue. But what do you think is the greatest challenge to being a single mom? The doing it all, I think. The doing it all and like we talked about, being able to to know that you can step back and say no, that's the hardest part to get to because, you know, if you're like me, the way I was raised, it was to be self-sufficient and to clean house, to cook. You know, by the time I was nine, I was cooking and I was taking care of the house. At 14, I was doing the whole shebang. And that was something that I was proud of and excited about. And, you know, because I was working with my grandmother and I loved learning from her and just, you know, doing those things. And when I went off to college, I had all these goals and dreams. I didn't want to be a single mom. My mom was a single mom, actually. And I watched her grow up, you know, living in the house with her parents and then having five children living in the house with her parents, never married. I never wanted to be a single mom. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was a virgin. And so all of this happened to me at the end of uh, undergrad, my first degree. And now I'm pregnant. And now my life is shifting. And now it's changing. And oh, my God, what am I going to do? Luckily, I had all those skills I had learned. Luckily, I was already a hardworking Black woman. And so when you throw in the mix a man who doesn't want to be in a relationship, doesn't want to be only in a relationship with me, I come to find out, I didn't know this before, wasn't ready to get married or settle down, all these things. I don't even like to talk about my kid's dad, but 
that's the story that I'll tell y'all, the part of the story I'll share. It just wasn't a, a good fit. I thought, you know, I would have worked until I was 30, had all my finances together, gotten a big VP gig. Now I can get married to the love of my life, have my big house, my white picket fence. And that's not the way it happened, right? I take I take ownership of whatever my part was in that, you know, whatever his part was in that, that's, a, uh, that's between him and God. But what I knew when I found myself pregnant and then all these things started unfolding about me not having the white picket fence, the big wedding, the life I wanted, I knew that I had to take care of my boys and and that's all I cared about. So I had the first son two years later. So it really hit the fan two years. I was pregnant with a second son, two months pregnant when I found out that, oh, this guy isn't faithful to me, right? So it was with a second child, I'm finally pregnant. I realized that I could do it. And I said, you know what? I've already... I already have my own apartment. I already have my corporate job. I'm already doing everything just like you said. Why do I have to do like my grandmother's telling me and marry somebody that already isn't able to be faithful just because that's what people do? Like you said, your friends who you've had for 30 years and they're all married and people believe in marriage in the South. They literally were telling me to marry somebody who was already showing me he couldn't be faithful, already showing me he wasn't going to help take care of the kids. I, like you just said, so looked at that and I said, it sounds like I'm going to be doing a lot of work, taking care of him, trying to please him, raising two babies, working. And I was like, I'm going to be stuck. And I also knew the K-Wanda, I was very shy. I was, you know, the good girl, the people pleaser, the bend over backwards to help everybody. Um, but something in me said, oh, you're going to kill him. <laughs> you're not going to put up with him doing this to you. You're not going to do it. So, uh, so the fire re Wanda I am now at 45. At 23, 25, I was a little bit more, you know, submissive and all of that. But something in me was like, nah, sis, this is not computing. The math ain't mathing. Okay. <laughs> like my ancestors were rising up and they were like, oh no, we did not go through what we went through for you to go through this. And mm-hmm. so I looked at my grandmother and I said, I love you. I know you guys are disappointed that I'm pregnant and I'm not married. I said, look, I have my own house. I have my I have my own car. I said, I have my own job, my own career. I am doing it. I'm taking care of these babies. I have the insurance and everything else that I need. And, and I'm going to make sure my boys never, you know, never want. And I said, I don't think that I need to marry somebody who's living like this, doing like this, treating me like this. And I'm not going to do it. And they were so upset because the family name. And I was like, who cares about a family name? I said, my mom's a single mom. She got (laughs) pregnant in in high school. But, you know, those are all those things. I think, I don't know if it was like that for you, but all of that that we see that our parents, those expectations they have for us, for us. And then we want to meet those expectations. And that kind of informs who we become. But I started pushing back against that because I was like, I'm going to become whoever I want to become And it's not going to be to please you. It's going to be to please me. And so, you know, long story short, I said all of that to kind of give you all the backstory that when I look at myself being a single mother, I had to push back against what society cared about, how they would look and say, oh, poor thing. You know, out here in Texas, you know, I'd meet all these moms, my boys playing sports and stuff. And they'd be like, oh, we should be friends. Oh, you're so cool. And I'd be like, they'd be like, where you live? And I'd say, I live in the apartments over there. They were nice apartments. They were luxury apartments. But they were like, oh, you know, if I didn't live in a house. And I was just like, well, I don't know where I want to live. So I'm not buying a house. I really want to move to Spain, you know, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, they're like prejudiced against you if you don't have a house out here. It's just all these things, these taboos, all these stereotypes, all this craziness. 
And so I understand why you don't want to even have the label of single mom. I don't mind being it. I don't mind being the winning single mom because my thing is, if I'm going to be a single mom, girl, I better be winning. I better be living my life, honey. I better be going after my dreams. And those are the kind of women I want to attract. So yes, story. <laughs> I love that. That was like, hallelujah. Thanks for hanging out, mama. I know how little time we have in our day to honor ourselves, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Make sure you click like, rate, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about today's show and what you want to hear going forward. Remember, mommying is a gift and you're doing a kick-ass job. So, woosah and mama stay.